everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, surprisingly, and I'm here with Dustin Albino from frontstretch.com. Now, Dustin, you are somewhat of a local to Watkins Glen, and we're here at Watkins Glen, so um, thanks for hosting all of us, I guess, here today. Yeah, no problem, Jeff. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast. I've listened to every episode of you know, the post-race, uh, social spotlight, and 12 questions, so I really appreciate you having me on. So, that, that, yeah, that's very cool. Long-time listener, first-time podcaster. Uh, with you. With me. Yes, yes. I happen to host my own podcast with Front Stretch that we've just been doing with uh, Joseph Wolken and Zach Tanzaretti over the past couple of weeks, breaking down the uh, races. Oh, you just started it? Yeah, we just started it uh, last week. It's been a Front Stretch podcast. I think this is a year and a half now that they're in, but I just started hosting because one of our, the old hosts uh, actually has a job with NASCAR now. Oh, okay. Okay. Breaking some news here. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Uh, I'm glad you're, I'm glad we're, uh, we'll have dueling podcasts now. Oh, for sure. For sure. So... What did you think of today's race? I mean, it was like kind of it, you know, first of all, two hours and what, two hours and seven minutes, was it? Two hours and seven minutes for a cup race. Um, I believe that's one of the shortest cup races in the modern era, if not the shortest. We're still checking on the stat. Uh, I have Mike Ford from NASCAR hard at work trying to find out if it was the shortest fully uh, full distance points race, but that's insane. It was actually three minutes shorter than the Xfinity race. And yet it seemed like it was pretty exciting. Now I know, you know, you have a regular winner with Martin Truex Jr. So it's like, Oh, after all that, you know, after all the fuel mileage drama, Martin Truex Jr. wins. So blah, I guess for those people that are not wanting to see that, but I still thought it was pretty exciting. No. Yeah, I thought so. There's a whole bunch of strategy. Uh, the first uh, stage was kind of, it wasn't boring, but it, there wasn't a lot happening with Kyle Busch leading the whole way. But then the second stage really picked up with the strategy, and you had Daniel Suarez pick up his first career stage win, and that was really cool. And then all hell broke loose in the final stage. Um, and like you said, Martin Truex Jr. getting that victory. Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, like you said, First stage, really, I mean, it went by quick, 20 laps, Kyle Busch dominates, rolled out to hugely, and you're just like, okay, whatever. Um, Suarez, actually, that was one of the better moments of the race, I thought, where he was able to hold off Truex at the end of that stage. I was like, oh, here comes the end of a stage. Truex is going to pass him again, get another uh, playoff point, and Suarez really did a good job. He's quite impressive lately. Yeah, he's got, what, four straight top tens now, and this was his first career top five, so... He's, he's really hit it as a rookie now with Joe Gibbs Racing. I think he's finally fitting in and transitioning in with the other three uh, veteran drivers. And he's doing a really good job. And I would imagine Joe Gibbs is probably pretty happy with the way he's been performing. And I think he's kind of overachieving in the way that he has been performing over the past four races. And it's good to see out of a rookie. Did you expect that he was going to be doing this well? Because I, I didn't. I thought he'd struggle a little bit the first year. Oh, for the first year or that the road course? Oh, I just thought the first year as a whole. I mean, just the fact that he's running so well. And, yeah, at a road course, it makes it even better. Yeah, I didn't think he was going to be do very well today. He did okay at Sonoma, if I recall, uh, better than Eric Jones. And I thought Eric Jones, out of the two rookies, probably had the shoe-in for Rookie of the Year, but not anymore. Yeah, it's very interesting. So um, then the Stage 3 starts, and there was only one caution. It was for a flat tire for Landon Castle. There was none of the crazy restart wrecks that we're used to seeing because there weren't that many restarts. And it was pretty much just um, a race that they let play out once again, it's, which has been the trend lately. Ever since the drivers 
complained publicly at Michigan or after Michigan led by, I think Dale jr. Um, on his podcast and everything talking openly about it. They've pretty much let the races play out. I went back and looked um, for the article that I'm working on, on my website. And I mean, yeah, there's been some races that finished in overtime lately, but that's because of wrecks that set them up. I mean, like Kentucky was a 100 lap run to the end uh, and Kurt Busch blew up and brought out a caution that set up overtime. Indy was crazy because there was all these wrecks. And so you didn't need a debris caution there. Um, Daytona was overtime, but that was because of a wreck as well. So it, it's not like debris caution has been setting things up or uh, this changes everything or a Kyle Busch type caution. Um, it's, they've been letting it play out and, and officiate it well. And I, I kind of like that. I know it's not maybe quite as exciting, but I like that because it lends a lot of legitimacy to the sport and that's what they should be doing. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad that NASCAR is letting it play out. And like you said, the final 36 laps were run all under green and sure there's a lot of, you know, controversy with Kyle Busch and Brad Kozlowski. I'm sure we'll hit on that, but Overall, I'm really happy and I'm pleased with the way that it happened. It looked like Corey LaJoy on the, coming to the white flag. The leaders were trying to get by him. It looked like he was running out of gas. But he made it back to the pit road and there was no caution. So I'm glad that NASCAR has got, has got it under control in that they're not really, you know, they're not causing a caution, not bringing out the caution for, for no reason. Yeah, and, and I think... I mean, the fact that there was fuel mileage playing into it, that was a big key. If there hadn't been the fuel mileage drama and Truex just won the race straight up, that that would have been crazy. But the fact that you had him letting two guys go, letting Keselowski go, letting Ryan Blaney go, and still winning the race and, and saving enough fuel, it looked like he was going to be two laps short. You had tons of drama, and then it looked like Kenseth was right on his back bumper. It looked like Suarez was coming. Who you know? Who's going to run out? Who's going to make it? That was a fun fuel mileage race. I'm not like a fan of fuel mileage races every single week, but this I thought was a pretty fun one. Yeah, I'm actually a really big fan of fuel mileage races. But like, why is that? It just brings the best out of the sport, I think, because you have those guys that maybe like an Austin Dillon at the uh, Coke 600. He didn't have the best car at all. He had about a seventh place car, but he came back and he overcame adversity and he won. And he won his first career race. So I just think it adds a lot of drama to the sport. And maybe drama is not so so much of a good thing sometimes, but in this case, getting new winners, which today we didn't have, um, but it just it leads to a good moment sometimes. Well, and and that's the kind of drama that I think the fans can like and appreciate because, you know, like we were just talking about the artificial type drama or the drama that feels more artificial when there's like some late debris caution. You're like, oh my gosh, did they really have to throw that? And now this this has happened and this has happened and they get some crazy result because of that. But this was drama that came about naturally. So I think that that's more enjoyable for like the longtime race fans. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I love fuel mileage races and I'm a fan of them. Not every single week, but it all goes with the strategy. Like last week at Pocono, there's a whole bunch of strategy as well, because if you're within like 10 seconds there and like 25 seconds here, you're not going to lose a lap in, in during the pit strategy. So it's really cool to watch sometimes as not as a viewer. And I'm sure it is for the fans as well. Because you, there's so much uniqueness to it. Yeah. So let's talk about Martin Truex Jr., who ended up winning this thing. Um, we've gone almost eight minutes into the podcast. We haven't mentioned we really talked about him much yet. But I think people pretty much know the story by now. Uh, four wins, 34 playoff points. He's staring at another 15 playoff points coming his way, most likely because he now has a 116-point lead over Kyle Busch, not Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson's fallen to third place in the point standings now. 
So Truex uh, only has four races to go until he's going to wrap up that regular season title, which would give him, at least right now, it would probably add to it, but 49 um, playoff points. That's almost a full race, which is 60. So it's pretty much like he could probably get into the playoffs and maybe have like maybe even two mulligans in a round and still advance. Um, He's obviously sitting pretty right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at his season in whole, and the 78 teams really ran well all types of tracks, um, specifically a mile and a half, and they've been alluded to that. Their three victories before today were at mile and a half. But he's been such a good road course racer really throughout his career, and he won at Sonoma in, what, 2013, and then he picks up the win today. So overall, that team is its the most balanced team throughout the garage. I think Kyle Busch is now kind of nipping on the heel. Um, he, he got two positions, the points pass in Harvick and Larson. So we'll see how that plays out with the Toyota camp. Yeah, that is really interesting. It, it, you know, the Toyotas in general, I mean, today, one, two, three, four, and then the other two were still in the top 10. I believe the first one, two, three, four sweep ever for Toyota. And I mean, super impressive there. They seem to be dominating every week. Now they're bringing the fastest cars. And you know, at the start of the season, it was like, Oh, what's wrong with Joe Gibbs racing? They haven't won. Why is Martin Truex Jr. kicking their butt so much? And now it really seems like they've caught up with Martin Truex Jr. and Furniture Row Racing, I feel like. I mean, at least Kyle Busch is right there, if not better, every week. Um, third straight pole. I mean, Kyle Busch is running up front. It's like, um, you know, Michigan next week. Who are you going to think of the two guys to beat? You'd probably think of Truex and Kyle Busch. Yeah, I would say so as well. Um, also, Denny Hamlin, he told me at a Pocono in June that once Joe Gibbs Racing gets on that roll and they get that first victory, which he got at New Hampshire, what, three weeks ago now, uh, and then Kyle got the win last week, that they were probably going to get on a roll, and he wouldn't be surprised if they started you know, winning every weekend. And that's what we're seeing now. We had all four Gibbs cars in the top, what, seven, with Kyle finishing seventh, and he probably had the best car of the bunch. So it's just remarkable how how stout these Toyotas really are this year. Yeah. So what, what to make of Kyle Larson? Um, you know, he's had some finishes lately where he's, I mean, he was leading the points for a while in a pretty healthy way, and, and now he's really tumbled um, you know, do you chalk this up to the tracks or have they lost something? Are they not as good as they were? I'm, I'm personally not sure, but I feel like they are, they're in some sort of a slump here that is not just a fluke. Yeah. You know, Jeff, I'm not really sure either. He's got three straight bad finishes now, the 23rd today, and then losing so much of that lead that he had with the points. Um, yeah, going into Michigan, that's the race he's won the last two, the two last events there. So I guess we'll have to see after that race. If he doesn't perform well there, then there should be a cause of concern going into the playoffs. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think Michigan is the thermometer uh, or the barometer. I don't know what whatometer for Kyle Larson and how he's doing right now because um, I think it's only his three career wins have all come at mile to two mile tracks. Uh, the two at Michigan, like you mentioned, and Fontana. So. And, and like you said, two in a row at Michigan. So if he goes to Michigan and all of a sudden, like he's not running as well as he was, that's everybody's going to jump on that and say, whoa, what's going on? But I think until next week's race, we can't really make a definitive statement on that. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I would say that's definitely fair. And then the week after that's Bristol. And sure, we don't have a track quite like Bristol in the playoffs, but he's ran well there in the past. Um, it's, he's marked it as his favorite track. And then you got Darlington and Richmond, where I think he's had decent finishes in the past, but... I guess we'll have to see how that those these next four races play out leading into the playoffs and if they have any momentum. It's pretty crazy how like Toyota seemed to be generating the most power, but yet they also had the best fuel mileage. I mean, that's a bad 
combination for everybody else right now. Cause those, I mean, Truex was doing like two burnouts, like up and down the front stretch after the race. He still had plenty of fuel, you know? Yeah. Truex definitely worked for it though, because he slowed Cole Pern slowed him way down and he lost, he gave up the lead and he even said he'd look kind of foolish in the, in his post-race press conference. If one of the two in front had made it uh, either Brad Kozlowski or Ryan Blaney, but both obviously came in and pitted. So yeah, it, that's a, that's a bad combination for the rest of the field. Um, you know, Kyle Busch, uh, you know, had a result today that's been similar to a lot of his other results this season where he was doing really well and something bad happened to him. In this case, he had a run in with his nemesis, Brad Kozlowski. Now, after the race, I had my phone out cause I thought, oh, here we go again. Las Vegas part two. He's going to go over and punch somebody. Cause he even said on the radio, he's like, uh, I'm going to kill that MF or I think. Um, or something along those lines. So I was like, oh, this is going to be big. So after the race, he gets out of the car and he walks over to a driver, but it wasn't Kozlowski, it was A.J. Allmendinger. And he just like smiles and shakes A.J. Allmendinger's hand. They laughed about something. Then he turned around and left and he, I think, said something like 14 words on the way out. Um, Didn't really have much to say, said he hadn't seen the replay. But uh, Kozlowski said, you know, know, Kyle Busch probably isn't the listening type, so he's not going to call but didn't really know what happened there. What what did you what was your take on that incident? Yeah, it's just ironic how much these guys find themselves around each other, especially at this track. Like the 2011 finish, 2012 finish with Marcos Ambrose and Brad Spin and Kyle out. It's just just crazy how much they find themselves together at this track. I didn't think about that. It's a great point. Yeah, and then earlier this year, like uh, Brad spun him out at the beginning of the Xfinity race at uh, Michigan, and then last year at Bristol they had an incident in the Xfinity race. So these guys just, I mean, they're so good that they're always running towards the front, but it sometimes that leads to chaos. Wasn't it a, like it maybe at Kansas one year or something, I think in an Xfinity race too, where like Kyle and Brad got into it. I think they wrecked maybe on a restart. And then like Brad was like patting his butt at Kyle as he went by. Does this sound familiar to you at all? Yeah, that does sound familiar. I, is it 2012 or 2013? But yeah, that yeah. does bring back a memory. I, I can't remember years as well as you can, but <laughs> um, so yeah. So the, the points picture is you have, uh, 13 guys in chase Elliott, uh, is I think 39 points to the good. Then you have Jamie McMurray, who's five points behind that. Matt Kenseth is now 28 points. to good over Clint Boyer for the last spot. And shockingly, Dustin, Joey Logano is a, is now over a hundred points out, 106 points out of the last playoff spot. It's just mind boggling. Yeah, that's insane. I didn't even realize that until you just said that. I knew his, you know, he's far back. But the good thing for him is he's going to a couple of his best tracks. Uh, he's got uh, Richmond, Michigan, and Bristol. He's all won twice at. So if there's a track that he's probably looking forward to, it's probably one of those three to get into the playoffs. Well, I mean, you would have thought he'd be good today here. I mean, I I think he's he'd finished first and second the last two um, Watkins Glen races or. Uh, for yeah, first and second, if I'm doing it in the right order, right? Is that right? Yeah, and he mentioned at New Hampshire in a press conference a couple of weeks ago that this all started going downhill after his encumbered win at Richmond, and he assured us that it wasn't because of the encumbered win and NASCAR taking that away, disallowing him for that to count towards the playoffs. But wouldn't it be ironic if he like kind of bookend that, and then you know won at Richmond, getting into the playoffs, and knocking out someone? Yeah, well, that's going to be a ton of pressure if that's the case when we get to Richmond now. Uh, Dustin, speaking of pressure, I don't know if that's a good transition or not, but you had quite a week this week leading into, um, 
leading into Watkins Glen, you published a story that got a lot of traction online that you seem to work very hard on about uh, Greg Galding, BK Racing. Um, what, what was the reaction to that uh, online this week? Yeah, Jeff, the reaction that was really well uh, received on my end, which as a journalist, that's what you want. Um, and I'm sure you've had articles like that in the past where you might be crossing a boundary, but overall the feedback's good. So it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And this time we did it. Yeah, no, I think that was really impressive. Um, from what I saw, you got a lot of praise and it was a really well reported story. I'd encourage everybody to go read that at frontstretch.com. Yeah, thanks for making it go viral. You kind of crashed the site there on Tuesday. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean to crash your site, but no, it's a good thing when people are interested in what you have to say. So um, you were kind of in the spotlight this week and it was your home track. So um, was it nice to be home or what can you tell people about, um, you know, your background getting into the sport? Sure. Yeah, I think I've told you this before, but I've been a fan literally my whole life since I was three years old. I've been coming to this track um, every year since 2000. So this is my 18th straight year. And a lot of times my, my family and I, this would be the only race we'd make on the circuit because, you know, whether it's money or travel or, you know, work schedules. But yeah, so this has always been, this is my favorite race weekend of the season. It outlasts probably even the Daytona 500. And then also I go to college right down the street here in Ithaca. So yeah, it's just my home track and I'm, I'm just so happy with the outcome. When do you start back, uh, back up with school? I start back up in three weeks. I think the first day of class is August 30th. That sounds right. Did you say it's going to be your senior year? This is my senior year. And then I would like to be, you know, take the chance like you did and move to Charlotte. I mean, that's the goal. This, the goal for me is to be in this for the long haul. And I mean, it's going to take a lot of, it's a lot of pressure and a lot of balancing of schedules, especially with school. But I feel like I've done a pretty good job at that. And I think other people have done a good job at it too. So we'll see how it all works out in the next year. Well, I have to say, you know, um, the media members who have been doing it a while, you know, we pay attention to, you know, who the young guys are coming in. And I think you've stuck out because you always ask good questions and I think you represent yourself very well. So uh, I've, I've enjoyed seeing your progress coming up through the ranks and I think you do good work at front stretch. So you certainly have a huge head start on a lot of us. I mean, already having sort of been um, a regular in the, in the NASCAR media core at times, and you're still in college. So I think that's something to feel good about. Yeah. I really appreciate that, Jeff. And we've talked in the past, but it's just a lot of hard work that you hope that pays off, but you're not sure if it's going to, it's, it's like an investment in yourself. I think you've even mentioned that to me in the past. Um, but yeah, I mean, the goal is to be here and I want to be here for the long haul. So I think this is a good start and I got into it, what, three years ago now. And I'm happy to see that people have seen me progress because I want to be like one of you guys one day, you know, and well-respected around the garage and everybody knows you. So hopefully this is the start to something for the long term. So Dustin, why did you want to do sports writing? I mean, you mentioned you've been a fan of the sport for a long time, but there's a zillion things in theory you could do in the sport. Why did you want to be a writer? I just like to tell stories. Like I probably get some feedback for this probably negatively, but I'm a big WWE fan and that's about telling stories as well. Right. Um, so this is just, it's something for me. I don't think I could have ever driven a race car. I just, it's out of my character. It's just, it's not for me. I love it. I love watching. I've been a fan forever, but I just needed to be in the sport somehow in my opinion. And I think this is the perfect way to do that. Well, of course, um, Dustin, as a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that another way to get into the sport would have been through Sam Tech. You knew it was coming. Oh, yeah, every week. 
<laughs> I try to make up these uh, transitions on the fly. But yes, Samtech would have been another option for you because if you'd gone there, which is their school in Houston, Texas, you could have learned how to do all sorts of stuff when it comes to like building engines. They're really good at that. All the different parts of the engines. Well, it was interesting when I went down there with Sarah to visit, like the students are working on like their own cylinder heads and making the holes in them because that creates more horsepower, the bigger the holes are and stuff. And, um, they have all these machine tools, but I mean, they're really like working hands on there. So, you know, if, if the sport training thing doesn't work out, you still want to be in the sport. I'm just saying. Appreciate it, Jeff. I'll go right to Sam's dog. Okay. Yeah. Samtech.edu is where you can go. And, um, they have lots of job openings for their graduates. Um, so many that they can't even, you pretty much would have your, your pick. It's a little bit more difficult perhaps to get into sports writing because it's like musical chairs, all the jobs going away, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to bring up outlets, but Fox sports just a couple of weeks ago, that, that was very negative. And yeah. for, for anyone, I mean, if you're an aspiring journalist, that's not something you like to see because of them going with the digital instead of editorial. And that's just really scary as someone who wants to get into this full time. Oh, for sure. And like, you know, you look at the Charlotte Observer, they stopped sending a writer to races after covering it for decades. I mean, they were like the paper of record for NASCAR. No more Charlotte Observer writer. So you have uh, USA Today didn't replace me with uh, a, a writer this year. So, you know, you lost a USA Today job. Uh, you lost a Charlotte Observer job and you lost several Fox Sports jobs. So not a pretty picture, but um, I'm here to tell you it's still possible to get into it. And, and you may have to do it on your own, but it's still possible. That's good to hear. Sam Tech. No, you don't have to worry about <laughs> Sam Tech. Uh, you could do it writing-wise. Uh, I don't think Sam Tech has journalism yet, although they, they are a, a school, like a regular school with classes and everything, too, as part of it. But anyway, so we now have to come up with um, the Was It a Good Race poll, our guesses. And we have to figure out what percent of people are going to say, yes, it was a good race. This is really tough because on Twitter, I saw a very mixed reaction after the race. I think you know, Truex winning didn't help. Not quite like a Kyle Busch win to knock down the poll numbers, but I don't think people, you know, in Toyotas in general, they're not so super high on that right now. They're getting tired of Truex a little bit. So I think that will affect it. And obviously there wasn't a late race restart, but you, you had to like fuel mileage if you're going to vote yes in this poll. So ugh, I'm going to say that, oh man, I don't know what to do here. I think I'll say... 71 percent will say yes it was a good race what do you think you're gonna hate me for this but i was gonna pick 72 oh you're boxing me in you're boxing me in price is right yeah for sure i was <laughs> well, I, I hope you overbid and that i'm uh somehow closer although maybe we don't well i guess if we're playing price is right rules i'm screwed but no that's okay 72 for you 71 for me so we're both predicting that it's it's in the low 70s. I think that's probably fair. Um, Dustin, any any final thoughts? Well, I just hope that the fans like this this race overall because of the fuel mileage. Um, if it wasn't for the fuel mileage, I think that that uh, statistic or our guess for the poll result would have been much lower, probably in the low 60s. But I think the fuel mileage will save it in the in the long haul. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this gosh, if you hadn't had that, like if it was just a straight up race, and Truex just ran away, like we said earlier. I mean, you're talking. I think you're talking in the 50s. It would have people would have been like, "What? I'm done with NASCAR." Like that one of those days. Well, wasn't it in like the 40s last week? And overall, last week wasn't a terrible race. It wasn't a good race, but it had a lot of strategy as well. I know that's so crazy. I I had not missed a race 
that bad as far as guessing the poll all year. I mean, I totally did not see that one coming. I was very surprised at how negative people were about that race. It was not bad for a Pocono race, but I think, you know, Kyle Busch, that, that plays a lot into it. Hopefully we turn it around this week and we're close with our guesstimates. I hope so. Now we need a, um, we need a hashtag to talk about this so that people can tweet us and um, tweet other people and see what people are saying about this podcast that we did. So um, what, what are you thinking? Any guesses or any, uh, any ideas? Well, to the Toyotas ran well today. So I think we got to do something with the Toyotas. It's got this tracks twisty and turny. So what about like the twisting Toyotas? Well, last week we did hashtag tricky Toyotas. So this week we could do twisty hashtag twi- twisty Toyotas. Sounds good to me, Jeff. Okay, that's very good, Dustin. Well, uh, thanks, Dustin, so much for joining us. I hope you had fun. And what's uh, how, where, how can people find your podcast or your frontstretch.com podcast? Yeah, our frontstretch.com podcast, um, like I said, it's with me, Zach Tanzaretti, and Joseph Wilkin. We're trying to put a new perspective on the sport with younger faces. Um, that drops every Friday. So if you could check that out on frontstretch.com, that would be appreciative. And just give us some feedback, negatively or positively. We'll take it all. So it's just on the web. They just go to the website and it's just right there. Yep, just right on the main page will be the top post, more than likely. And how can people find you like on Twitter, social media, stuff like that? Yeah, uh, you can follow me at Dustin Albino on Twitter. That's D-U-S-T-I-N-A-L-B-I-N-O. And at Instagram at Dustin underscore Albino. So you can find everything there. I'm usually tweeting about racing if, you know. So just go there and you'll see all my stuff. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. And sure and sweet. Uh, Jeff, before you let me go though, I just wanted to tell you that like how appreciative that we are of you for, because you went independent this uh, year and probably for the future, at least the foreseeable future. Um, So we just appreciate you showing that independent media is still out there and that you're doing a really good job at it. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And um, it's fun, like I said, to see all the the younger writers in the media center, I think, making a name for themselves and getting a lot of opportunities here as the traditional media is um, sort of not filling the seats anymore. You know, a lot of you guys are coming in. And um, I think I think there was a a time um, when NASCAR was sort of pushing the citizen journalist program in the beginning where it was like the people were more fans than journalists, like they were just using the opportunity to be sort of. you know, just get in the media center, but they want to be around the drivers. But I, I really feel like, like you at the front stretch guys and a lot of other people that I've, I've seen lately, um, you know, you guys are really, you really want to be journalists. So you're, you're practicing your craft, you're honing your craft and, um, you're getting a good start on your career. So I, I think you're, I think it's all going well. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad that you see that we try to fit in, but we look at ourselves, or at least I look at myself as like the next generation kind sort of thing. I'm sure there's a lot of guys that are like middle age and they're guys or women. Um, but yeah, we look at ourselves. I look at myself as the next generation and propelling us for, for uh, further, even forward. So yeah, that's good. I mean, it's a time for young guys right now. So <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a youth movement in the sport and you're the youth movement for the media. So thanks again for listening, everybody. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do that. And we'll talk to you next time on the untitled Jeff Gluck podcast.